The title of this morning's message is The Fall of an Angel, The Fall of Lucifer. And we are in our study of Genesis, entering Genesis chapter 3. Please open your Bibles there, Genesis chapter 3. And we'll read the entire chapter, but really I'm just going to be preaching the first verse. And we'll, of course, be looking to other scripture to support the truth and explain the truth of the first verse of Genesis chapter 3. So let's read there together. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than all Every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you are you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken So he drove out the man, and he placed the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree 
of life. Again, the title of this morning's message, The Fall of an Angel. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. That should be a disturbing sentence for you. That should be an alarming sentence as you're reading along from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2 and you come to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is alarming because there is a cunning beast afoot. This is alarming because sin is afoot. Sin is interrupting the perfection of God's creation, just pronounced good and holy and perfect. So here in chapter 3, verse 1, we have a significant and alarming sentence. A serpent has come into the garden. The serpent is cunning. That in itself demands explanation These beasts were all created good, were they not? All these beasts, all the birds, all the fish of the sea, all the so-called simple-celled organisms, all created at the same time and all good, without sin, untainted, all perfect. Every lion lay with the lamb. Adam And Eve had no impure thoughts or impure motives. Blasphemy had never entered their mind or their heart. had never been spoken by their tongue. They had never done a deed that was not for the glory of God. Every creature was living out its life according to God's good and perfect design, untainted by sin, unchanged by sin. It was perfect. And then it's interrupted. How could this be? How could this happen? Who failed to sound the alarm as the serpent came into the garden? And what happened to this serpent, one of the beasts that God created good? What happened to corrupt this serpent? What is going on here? Did chance break into God's ordered universe and interrupt All that is holy? And the answer to that is no. But so often we rush past this first verse without sufficient explanation. So we're going to hit a significant pause button on the first verse of Genesis chapter 3 and consider carefully what is taking place. And I'm certain you understand that this serpent is more than a serpent. It's not less than a serpent. It is a created beast. It is a serpent of some variety created in that first week of creation, and it was created good and perfect. It was pronounced so. And yet now this serpent has been corrupted. Now this serpent is coming into the garden, and the serpent is talking. That's an unusual serpent. Have you met a serpent that speaks? Don't, don't say yes. <laughs> well, this serpent spoke because Satan himself had entered into it. Satan had possessed this serpent. And we find demon possession, which Satan is the chief of demons. We find demon possession in the Holy Scriptures. We find 
the greatest or most horrific example of possession just before the crucifixion when Satan himself entered into Judas and laid that kiss upon the Lord Jesus' cheek in the garden before he was arrested. Satan came to the garden to corrupt mankind in the serpent. Satan came to the garden to send the Lord Jesus to the cross in Judas, the betrayer. This was a real serpent, a real creature that God created good. And yet this serpent was indwelt with the devil himself. And that title, that name serpent is carried on through the scripture ascribed to the devil, ascribed to Satan. And I want to look at the names of Satan because they are instructive. The names of this serpent throughout scripture, they are instructive. And so that's where we will start and it will take some time. Then we'll move out from there and go a little deeper and then we'll get a little philosophical applying the Word of God thoughtfully. And so again, verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So let us consider the names of this particular serpent or the one indwelling this serpent. The first and most common name is Satan. I've already used it. Satan. The devil is called Satan, which means adversary 54 times in the Bible. Make no mistake, Satan is God's adversary, and he is the adversary of every man and woman that would serve God. And beyond that, every man and woman created in the image of God. Satan is the adversary of God, and thus the adversary of mankind created in God's image. However, those men and women who serve the Lord are his particular target and enemy. So Satan, adversary, the first use of that was in Job. Now in your Bible, it's not in chronological order, but Job is is the oldest book that uses the term Satan. And it's in Job chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came amongst them. Now that's a term used of angels and demons, sons of God. So there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? around his household, and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Martin Luther said that the devil is God's devil. And that's what you find in the first use of the name Satan for the devil in the Bible, Job 1. You find that Satan is called to account along with the other demons. Hear me, God is sovereign. The devil himself, being a powerful creature, a powerful creature, is nevertheless subjugated to he who is all-powerful. The devil is not 
all-powerful. He's powerful, but he is not all-powerful. He doesn't even begin to approach all-powerful. He is not omnipotent in any sense of the term. There is no great cosmic struggle between a mighty devil and mighty God. No, God is almighty. And the devil, yes, should be understood as a powerful being, but he is not almighty, or even in the sense, or in comparison with God, mighty at all. He is only and always a creature, and God is forever and always creator. He spoke the devil into being, and he can speak him out of being, although he will not. He will cast him into a place where he will dwell under the wrath of the omnipotent God forever. And so Satan is called to account along with the other demons. And the Lord says to Satan, from where do you come? Not that the Lord doesn't know. He's not only omnipotent, he's omniscient. But the devil must give an account to the Lord. The devil is God's devil. He must report to his creator. So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, and don't forget it, he still roams to and fro on the earth seeking to devour like a lion. And he is a dangerous adversary, a powerful adversary, and he would devour you and those whom you love. He would devour our city, and he is. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Job was not arbitrarily attacked by the devil. God is sovereign and God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And he works all things for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That's Ephesians 1.11, Romans 8.28. The devil is God's devil. God unleashed the devil on Job for the glory of God, which is the highest good every day of the week. The glory of God is the highest good for all eternity. And you are created for the glory of God and to enjoy God forever. And hear me, Job is created for that same reason. And part of God's good plan for Job was to allow Satan to bring great tragedy to Job's life. Do I wish that for you? I don't. But I do wish for you to glorify God. And I do wish for God to give the full glory due His name. And I do wish that we, by the grace of God, would be able to embrace the full biblical reality of who God is and what He's about and who we are and what we are about as creatures created for the glory of God. Let us not elevate Satan into a position of omnipotence or omniscience or even free will. Satan's will is not free. He can only and always choose that which God allows him. He can only assault in the way even that God allows. God draws the devil's attention to Job, and the devil says Job would deny you. He would surely deny you, except that you protect him. You've got this hedge of protection around him. You remove that, and surely surely he'll deny you. Surely he'll curse you. To your face, the devil says, verse 11. Hear me, saints. One of the ways that we most glorify God is through enduring suffering, enduring hardship. It's easy to praise Jesus, right? As long as you're healthy and wealthy, like the Word of Faith movement tells you you should be. But what about when you're sick and poor? What about when you're persecuted and suffering? What about when the devil himself, not even men serving him, but the devil himself, through such an array of assaults, comes against you? 
as you see in Job's life, if you can praise God then by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God receives his full glory. Oh, that God would strengthen us to that end, to endure, to endure terrible, real suffering. And again, I don't wish it upon you. I certainly don't wish it upon my own family. But the Lord has designed it for his saints that we might be blessed and that he might be glorified. This life is a life of trial, a life of tribulation, a life of persecution. And praise God, a life where there are sweet times of peace, sweet times of ease. But we are not guaranteed peace and ease. The Lord Jesus guarantees us the exact opposite. We should be surprised at the hours of peace and ease. We should be surprised when we can sit comfortably and joyfully in the easy chair of life. Because that's not what we're promised. Those are hours of extra mercy and grace. What we're called to is warfare. There's a war on between, yes, the forces of evil and God. Holy, holy, holy. God has already won, and yet the battle still rages. It will be put down, and yet we have a role to play. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord to bring destruction to Job's life. And you know how the story goes. Ultimately, Job's property, Job's crops, Job's beasts are all destroyed. One wave upon another. Each servant coming on the heels of the last to tell Job of the most recent calamity. And then the final blow, a great wind came upon the house that his children were in and they perished. Job does not curse God and die, but worships God and says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then Satan comes back and again as the accuser accuses God and Job, but accuses Job and says, if you just but allow me to touch his person, he will curse you. And the Lord, again, allows the devil to touch Job's person, his health. And Job does waver. He does. He does curse the day he was born, and yet he does not curse God. He does not deny his Creator. He is sustained by the grace of God in faith. And the end of Job, there is glory. At the end of Job's account, his life, as he humbles himself before God and says, I've spoke, but I'll not speak again. I put my hand over my mouth. The Lord restores his property and his beasts and gives him more children yet, praise God. We find in that story more than a story of Job, we find the devil is God's devil. And God is sovereign over the devil. And his name is Satan. Satan. Don't fear Satan more than you fear God. Fear God and you need not fear Satan. So that's the first name found in the Scripture. Satan is found in Job Chapter 1, verses 6 and following. The second name, the son of mourning. The son of mourning. This serpent in Genesis 
Chapter 3, verse 1, is called the son of morning. The serpent who is Satan is called the son of morning. Yes, he is. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. An odd name for Satan. That's what he was created to be in his fallen state. He has no more claim upon that title. The third name of Satan I would draw your attention to is anointed cherub. He's an anointed cherub, an anointed angel of God. Some think that he was the chief cherub or the chief angel over worship in heaven. Ezekiel 28 14 speaks of this. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. The anointed cherub was created perfect. Satan was created perfect. Just like the serpent he indwelt was created perfect. We need some explanation as to how Lucifer, how Satan, how the son of the morning, how the anointed cherub fell in sin. And we will have that explanation. How was it that iniquity was found in him? Fourth, he is called the devil. This name appears only in the New Testament. and It's one of the most common names for Satan. The devil literally means slander. Slander. Satan is called this because he slanders both God and men. He slanders God and he slanders men. And he takes great joy in slandering the men of God, those who serve him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tempted by the devil. Fifth, he is called the tempter. The tempter. And we just read of him being called the devil who tempts the Lord Jesus there. Satan is the one who tempted Adam and Eve and continues directly and indirectly to tempt mankind. And he had the audacity. He had the audacity to attempt to tempt who? The Lord Jesus himself. God in flesh. Matthew 4 verse 3. Now when the tempter came, he is The tempter. He doesn't just tempt. He is the tempter. Now when the tempter came, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. If you are the Son of God, do this miracle. Command that these stones become bread. While the Lord's fasting. And the Lord Jesus quotes Scripture back to the devil. And the devil quotes some Scripture himself, you should recall. And twists it. Twist not Scripture like the devil. Don't be like the devil and twist Scripture. Stand on the Scripture, rightly divided. So he is the tempter. Sixth, he's the ruler of demons. He's the ruler of demons. Satan is the chief demon. He commands his minions. In Matthew 9, verse 34, it says that he cast out the demons by the ruler of demons. The Pharisees accused Jesus, saying, He, Jesus, cast out the demons by the ruler of demons. Of the demons. He's the ruler of the demons. Seventh, Beelzebul. Satan is known as Beelzebul, which literally means Lord of the Flies or Lord of Dung. Lord of the Flies or Lord of Dung. I particularly like that name for Satan. Uh, It's also in various translations 
translated Beelzebub. So Beelzebul, Beelzebub. In Matthew 12, 24, in the New King James Version, it says, Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So the Lord of the Flies, the Lord of Dung, the ruler of the demons. He is also called the Wicked One. The Wicked One. In Matthew 13, Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So he is the wicked one. What What a name. What a way to be identified. The wicked one. That is his nature. And thus he is rightly identified and called the wicked one. He is the enemy, the enemy of God and the enemy of mankind. Matthew thirteen thirty nine. the enemy who sowed them, the tares, the tares, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. He is the enemy, the enemy of God, the enemy of the church, the enemy of the saints of God, the enemy of mankind. He is the enemy. Tenth, he is the liar. He is the liar. He's not just a liar. He's the liar. John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. He's a liar. Number 11, the father of lies. He's not just a liar. He's not just the liar. He's the father of lies. We, we don't want to allow our children to follow the father of lies. Who is Jesus? The way, the truth. And God is the God and father of truth. And the spirit is the spirit of truth. The devil is the liar. And he's the father of lies. As John eight forty four says, he is a liar and the father of it. The, the devil, Satan, is also the murderer. He's the murderer, John eight forty four. You are a father of the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer. He's a murderer from the beginning. Did David murder a man? He did. King David murdered a man. Um, so technically you could say he was a murderer, but he's not known as a murderer. What do you typically think of David as? King David, not murderer David. But if David spent his whole life murdering and he died an unrepentant murderer, then what would you rightly call David? A murderer before a holy God. But praise God, murderers can be saved. They can come to repentance and faith in Christ. And there are some wonderful examples, a few, a few, but even of those who are part of the genocide industry of abortion, those doctors and nurses, they are habitual murderers. And yet by the grace of God, some of them have come to repentance and faith and they can be saved. But we need to be able to call murder, murder. And murderers, murderers, and the devil is the chief of murderers. Who do you think authored the murder of those babes when the Lord Jesus was born? Satan. He authored that in the heart of man. Who authored the murder of those babes when Moses was born? Satan. He authored that. And who's authoring this murderous spirit in our society now, murdering what 1.6 billion 
human beings created in the image of God. Satan himself. These children are created for God's glory. They're given unique gifts and abilities to use for God's glory. And Satan is compelling through his deception. Now, mothers and fathers are entirely culpable. Doctors and nurses are entirely culpable. They are deceivers themselves. They are liars and murderers themselves before a holy God. But the devil is the murderer. And he is the spirit behind this, the deception, deceiver, liar behind this murderous culture that we live in today. He is the murderer. Thirteenth, he's the ruler of this world. He's the ruler of this world. Again, don't elevate the devil beyond his realm. He is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. But God has given him for a season a rule over this world. And he and his minions, he and his demons have a certain rule over this world. You see that rule carried out beneath the omniscience and omnipotence of God in Job chapter 1 as they're called to account before God and only allowed to go so far. But nevertheless, they have a very real rule in this fallen world ruler of this world. John 14 verse 30 says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Jesus himself calls Satan the ruler of this world. And in John 14 30, when he says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. I'm thinking he's talking about Satan entering into Judas and coming with that kiss to send him to the cross. In 1 John 5.19, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the evil one, or under the sway of the evil one. We're of God, but the whole world lies in the evil one. So the ruler of this world. Fourteenth, Satan is the god of this age, the god of this present world and age. And that's a lowercase g, mind you, if you're taking notes. He is the God of this age. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age. So he's the ruler of this world system. He is the God of this age. And unknowingly or knowingly, sinners serve him. They serve him unknowingly or knowingly. No one is neutral. No one is unbiased. Everyone is either serving the God or they're serving the devil, the God of this world, the God of this age, knowingly or unknowingly. And that's offensive to them. I understand that. But it's reality and they need to know that. They're not neutral. If they're not serving God through repentance and faith in Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, then they're serving the evil one. Fifteenth. He is the angel of light, the angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now, he's not really an angel of light. He transforms himself into an angel of light. He comes deceiving in that capacity as an angel of light. Sixteenth, Belial, Belial. And what it means is vileness, vileness. He is Belial. 2 Corinthians 6.15 And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Belial. He is the vile one. 17th, the prince of the power of the air. He is the 
prince of the power of the air, which goes along with being the god of this age or uh, the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He has the authority over this present evil world system. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 speaks to this. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And so until we come to Christ by the grace of God... We serve the evil one. We serve the prince of the power of the air just as the others, conducting ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We're responsible for our sins. We are conducting ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We are responsible. But as we conduct ourselves in the lust of our flesh, we're serving the prince of the power of the air. We're serving Satan, the god of this world. Eighteenth, the adversary. The adversary. This being Satan stands in opposition to everything holy. He stands in opposition to God. He is God's adversary and he's the adversary of God's people. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You have an adversary. It's the devil. He is your enemy. And he wants to destroy you. And he's a deceiver. He's a tempter. He's a liar. He comes as an angel of light. Be wary of the adversary and his ways. Roaring lion. Roaring lion. He is likened to a lion seeking its prey. When lions come, do they just typically walk up the middle of the street and pounce on you? You ever watch a cat hunt? Now, they don't typically walk at the middle of the street. They sneak around. And when they're hunting, they get down low and they're very, very quiet. And the prey usually never knows it's there until the teeth are in its neck. And then the lion patiently waits until the life is choked out of the gazelle or whatever critter it is. And then it becomes supper. The devil is like a lion roaming to and fro, seeking to devour. Twentieth. The angel of the bottomless pit, Revelation 9, 11. And they had as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So the angel of the bottomless pit, the angel of the bottomless pit. What kind of angel is that? That's a demon. That's the chief of demons. That's the devil, the angel of the bottomless pit, Revelation 9, 11. Apollyon and Abaddon, also mentioned there in Revelation 9, 11. He's called Apollyon and Abaddon. The idea behind these terms is destroyer. Satan has been filled with a hatred of God from the beginning. He's attempted to destroy, to destroy every good thing that God has done. He is the destroyer. And then the great dragon, or the great dragon of old. The 22nd name of Satan, the great dragon of old. What did he start out in when he was first revealed in Holy Scripture? When he first was revealed in creation? In Genesis 3, he comes as a serpent, a great dragon. Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with them. Again, he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, but he is powerful. He's deceiving the whole world. 
He's been given a rule for a season over this world system. And everyone who hasn't been born again, everyone who's not regenerated, everyone who's not indwelt with the Spirit of God, everyone who has not, by the grace of God, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord genuinely, they are under the sway of the devil in one way or another, in one creed or another. The great dragon, the serpent of old. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Again, Revelation 12, 9, the serpent of old. When Revelation 12, 9 speaks of the serpent of old, what are we speaking of? Quite specifically and literally, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. That is on an inspiration and inerrancy level, that's Scripture confirming Scripture. Revelation, the final book, confirms Genesis, the first book. One of the last chapters in the entire Bible confirms one of the very first chapters in the Bible. The serpent of old, the devil, Satan, which is also part of how we have clarity as to who is indwelling this serpent. The 24th name we will consider is deceiver of the whole world, deceiver of the whole world. We've already gotten that idea, but we get the name or the concept more closely again in Revelation twelve nine. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He's the deceiver of the world. The 25th name, accuser of the brethren. God's people are constantly being accused by Satan. Revelation twelve ten. the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. What we see Satan doing there in Job chapter 1 is what Satan is constantly doing, accusing the brethren. Oh, she would deny you, he would deny you if you would allow this. Lucifer. Lucifer is our final name. It's kind of the proper name of Satan, that serpent of old. Isaiah 14, verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. O Lucifer. And it's commonly thought, you know, that was his angelic name. And after the fall, he is rightly termed Satan or the devil or one of the other descriptive terms like the wicked one. But Lucifer from Isaiah 14. And so those are the names, the 27 Names, by my count at least, in the scripture of Satan, this serpent we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Again, a literal serpent indwelt with Satan, much like Judas was a literal man indwelt with Satan some years later. Let us go a little deeper as we consider this serpent and Satan in him. When was the devil created? When was Satan created? When was Lucifer, the angel, created? Colossians 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So, this is about Jesus creating all things. If Jesus created all things, of course, Jesus created Satan. But it says, By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or, or 
powers. So Jesus created the devil. The devil is always and only a creature. I said that earlier. Let's hear that again. The devil is always and only a creature. And God is always and eternally the creator. Specifically God the Son. So the audacity, the astounding audacity of the devil coming to Jesus to tempt him is really just shocking. But that, that's what sin does. It makes us bold. It makes us mad in iniquity. We will rise up to God. Puny men will rise up to God. Certainly a powerful angel will when sin gets a hold of him. But puny men do rise up and curse God and think they would overthrow the kingdom of God. I mean, just read Psalm 2. Mankind united together against the Father and His Christ. What madness is upon us. The madness of sin, dear saints. So again, when was the devil created? Well, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. So the devil was created in the beginning when Jesus created everything. That's when the devil was created, generally speaking. Let's go a step further. Job 38, verses 4 through 7. Let's consider that as we think on when was the devil created. Job 38, verses 4 through 7 says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God speaking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Are you tracking with me? When was the devil created? Well, what did that say? God's asking Job, were you there when this took place, when this took place? Were you there when the earth was created, Job? And the answer is no. But verse 7, Were you there when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? The clearest understanding of that text, Job 38, verse 7, in context, would be that the angels were there when the earth was created and they were rejoicing. They were rejoicing, watching God's creative act, His power and omniscience, His wisdom on display, they were compelled to rejoice and worship him. And so it would seem the angels were created on day one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It would seem that that heavenly realm, that third heaven where the angels dwell, was created then and the angels with it in that heavenly realm. So they might be there to rejoice and to praise God throughout the creation week, but even in that initial creation of the earth, as Job 38, 7 says, when the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. I think that's the best understanding. If you wanted to try to push it out for some reason, you can't push it out beyond when? Beyond day six. You can't push it beyond then because that's the last day of creation. But I think the best understanding is right there in day one. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the physical heavens in which the stars would later reside and the earth would be set around our star called the sun, as well as that third heaven, right? 
where the angels abide and where God abides, where the train of his robe fills his throne room, where Satan was caught up to in Job chapter 1 to give an account to God. The next question we want to deal with after when was the devil created was, is this, was the devil created good? And you should know the answer to that. It should be obvious to you. But Genesis 1, 31 says this, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Is Satan outside of creation? Is he self-created? Is he another eternal being? No, he's not. He's a creature created with all of God's other creatures by divine fiat, divine decree. And so he is created good. Indeed, it was not just good, very good. The devil wasn't just created good. He was created very good. And so the next question, when did the devil fall? When was the devil created? It would seem he's created on day one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that would include that third heaven and the residents thereof, the angels, so that they might be there, Job 38, 7, to rejoice, to rejoice when the earth's foundations are laid and to shout for joy. Was the devil created good? Yes, he was created good because all of God's creation, all of his creatures were good. Indeed, they were very good. Genesis 1.31. Next question, when did the devil fall? When did he fall? Well, one thing we can know for certain, he fell after day six. Because on day six, everything was good. It was after the six literal days that God created the heavens and the earth in that the devil fell because before that everything was not just good but very good it was after that and we see the fall of the devil in isaiah 14 and ezekiel 28 remember that isaiah 14 ezekiel 28 long ago those stuck in my head because 14 times 2 is 28 my math got a little rusty over the years you know the longer you're out of school but i can still do that right 14 times 2 is 28 so isaiah 14 ezekiel 28 those are the two accounts of Satan's fall. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. That's literally when he fell. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Interesting that Lucifer, son of the morning, fell after wanting to be what? Higher than God? Like the Most High like the Most High. He could not imagine anything higher than God. He's a creature. And even with the knowledge that he has of God, and Lucifer dwelt in heaven in the presence of God for a season, and yet he could not imagine anything higher than God. So even in his sin, while wanting to rebel against God and become a God, he couldn't imagine anything higher. He couldn't conceptualize anything higher, anything greater, anything more powerful, anything more glorious than the one true God. And he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And God says to him, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest 
depths of the pit. He who is the angel of the pit will be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit, the hottest place in hell. The devil is not, is not ruling over hell. His rule will come to an end when he's cast into the lake of fire. He's ruling for a season beneath God's sovereign rule over this earth and over unregenerate man and the demons who actively serve him. But his rule will come to an end when he's cast in to the lowest depths of the pit. The wrath in hell comes from the Almighty. As Psalm 711 says, God is a just judge and he is angry with the wicked every day. As Revelation 14 says, the smoke of their eternal torment will ascend before the Lamb and his holy angels. Satan is not pouring out wrath in hell. He's receiving wrath in hell at the end of the age. So the devil fell. The devil rose up against God. The devil wanted to be like God. And yet the Lord assures him that he shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. That time will come. It has been decreed. It has been declared. And it will come to pass. You find demons pleading with Jesus not to cast them into the pit, for it's not time yet. It's not time yet. They know the truth. They know what's coming. They know it with a certainty. The scriptures elsewhere say that even the demons, what? Tremble. They believe and tremble. They know God. They know His power. They know His holiness. They know the justice they're going to receive in hell. They believe enough to tremble, and yet we've got a generation of professing Christians that have no fear of God, that have no inkling of trembling before Him, confessing Christ as Lord and endeavoring to serve Him as such. They've tucked a bit of fire insurance into their pocket. They've prayed some prayer or they show up in church now and again and sing a love song to Jesus and think they're good. No, by the grace of God, we must repent and confess Christ as Lord and rise to serve Him walking in the light of the Word, in the power of the Spirit. So we see the fall of the devil. We see the fall of Lucifer. Isaiah 14, 12, and 15. We see much more in Ezekiel 28, verses 1 through 19. If you'll look there, Ezekiel 28, verses 1 through 19. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, And you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you say before him who slays you, I am a god? But you shall be a man and not a god in the hand of him who slays you. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And so this is to the king of Tyre, but it's also to the devil 
empowering the king of Tyre. It's a word of God as a judgment to the king of Tyre and a judgment to the devil. And it gets more explicit in verse 11 and following. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Is that speaking to an earthly king? No, that, that's Satan. That's Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Was the king of Tyre in Eden? No. But Lucifer was in the serpent, coming cunningly unto Adam and Eve. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onks, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. And that's part of why some think he was the chief angel presiding over worship in heaven. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. He was created perfect. And he was perfect until iniquity was found in him. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned and therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you O covering cherub from the midst of the firing stones your heart was lifted up because of your beauty you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor I cast you to the ground I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you you defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities by the iniquity of your trading therefore I brought Fire from your midst, it devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. That is a dual indictment and judgment of the king of Tyre and Lucifer together. Some applies explicitly to Lucifer and some applies explicitly to the king of Tyre, but it's mixed in there together. In the few minutes we have left, let me say this, or ask this. How could an angel, how could Lucifer, fall into sin and become the devil? How did Lucifer become Satan? He was created good, but he fell in sin. James one thirteen through 15 says this, Let no one, even the devil, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, the direct application of James 1, 13-15 is for fallen man in a fallen world. And redeemed fallen man as James is writing to believers, saying, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. So God does not tempt anyone. God does not tempt you to sin. God does not tempt unbelievers to sin. God did not tempt Adam and Eve to sin. God did not tempt Lucifer to sin. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
you and I have a sin nature. That sin nature desires to sin. Adam and Eve did not have a sin nature. Before them, Lucifer did not have a sin nature that innately drives them to sin. We cannot help but sin. Why is it that Lucifer fell and other angels did not? Why is it that he fell and a third of the angels went with him and two-thirds did not? What does the Bible refer to them as? Well, ultimately, through silence, it refers to them as non-elect angels. What does it refer to the angels who did not fall? It refers to them as the elect angels of God. When it comes to mankind, who are the redeemed, the elect, the chosen, the predestined? They are the ones who, by the grace of God, come to repentance and faith in Christ. By the grace of God, who are the angels that did not fall? They are the elect. The Lord preserved them from falling. But he created them with the ability to fall, yet he preserved two-thirds and allowed a third with Satan at the helm to fall in sin. He not tempting them, but creating them with that ability that they might fall, that he might be glorified as both just and justifier, that he might be glorified, putting his holiness on display, pouring out judgment upon sin, and that he might be glorified, putting his grace on display, rescuing perishing sinners. Now, with all this time and all this talk of Satan and his fall, we've really just begun to address the issues at hand. We have not finished. And so we will come back to this because the greater issue here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, this shocking interruption of perfection, this shocking interruption of the first wedding and the first married couple experiencing their wedded bliss, where the serpent who is more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made comes into the garden. It's not just Satan. It's not just a serpent. It is sin. It is evil that has come into God's creation. It is evil that has come into the garden. And we must deal with what is called the problem of evil, lest it continue to be a problem in your mind and become a problem in your theology and in your heart. And so next time, we will go deeper yet into evil's invasion into God's cosmos, evil's invasion into the Garden of Eden through the serpent, through Satan, that great dragon. For now, let us know that God works all things according to his purposes for his glory and that God tempts no one, no man, no angel. And we will rest there. Let's pray.